Amen. Hey, uh, grab a seat, and as you do, grab a Bible and give me to the book of 1 John. If you don't have a Bible under a seat somewhere by you, you'll find one, and uh, open that up to 1 John uh, that we'll study together today. Uh, since I knew we were preaching through this book and going to study this book together, I have waited with great anticipation for this week right here, and I'll tell you why. Not preacher overspeak, not a preacher exaggeration, 1 John 2.2 changed my life, flat out. 1 John 2.2 changed my life. Uh, it was uh, three springs ago, uh, spring of 2016, uh, a pastor friend of mine in northern Indiana said, hey, um, uh, a couple in our church uh, are letting me use their cottage on Lake Michigan. I'm doing some long-range sermon series planning. You want to come up with me and, and do some preaching stuff together uh, for an overnighter? And I said, absolutely. And so I went into this thinking, like, I'm going to get the whole next year's preaching stuff laid out. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to get so far ahead. And uh, it was wasn't what I thought it would be at all. Uh, I got up there and I tried to start to get to work and the Lord would not let me. And the first day was spent with um, the Lord revealing a lot of sin in my own heart and uh, a lot of stuff that um, I, I think I'd just gotten unhealthy. This was, we had just kind of come through the wave of planting the church and the, it was the spring and the Lord just wanted to take the very first day and instead of allowing me to do some work, just uh, to look at my own heart and do some work there. And I went to bed that night. Um, really, really just down and really like wrestling and struggling. And uh, I was up early the next morning, and this is a picture of where I was sitting uh, that morning on the shore of Lake Michigan. And uh, uh, the Lord led me to the book of 1 John, and I began to read through the book of 1 John, and I came to chapter 2, and I came to one phrase in 1 John 2, 2, and it's right how this verse begins, and it's this phrase, He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, I'd read it many times before in my life. I had no doubt when you learn Greek in seminary, this is kind of the, the book that you go to to help you learn Greek. So I, st I, I, I studied this thing in Greek, okay? That doesn't make me smart. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I have no doubt done all the theological study of what Jesus as our propitiation really meant. But it was on the shore of Lake Michigan in early May 2016 that the Lord took that little phrase and he took it from the head and he got it to the heart. And I'm telling you, I was the only one on the beach that morning. It was a cold Michigan morning on the shore. And, and, and I, I literally, when the Lord revealed to me what it means that Jesus is the the propitiation for our sins. It brought me to my feet. And then I was, I was pacing back and forth. And all of a sudden, I began to jump and I began to yell. If anyone would have seen me, they would have been like, that dude is nuts. But the reality, the reality of what it meant that Jesus was the propitiation for my sin led me to a physical expression of worship over this. And so, what, what does this mean? We need to understand that. And my prayer for us as we understand what it means that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, it's okay, like total, total free pass today. If you want to get up mid-sermon and start jumping up and down and yelling, free pass today, okay? Because I think when we really, really get, when we get deeper, because when I define this, when we get there, when I define it, you're going to be like, yeah, I know that, I know that. It's got to go deeper today than Christian cliche. 
Uh, when we get there today, you'll go, yeah, I know that. I know that. Yeah, there's nothing new that I didn't know about. It's got to get deeper today than just intellectual head knowledge of what that means. If we will really get today uh, what, our, what Christ has done for us, I pray that it will lead to worship. And so um, uh, just know this today. Uh, there's nothing you have to do with this sermon. There's nothing today you have to do with this sermon. But there are unbelievable truths you have to know from what this text says. You have to know what this text says because when you know, when you know, know, know deep down in your heart what this text means, it will lead you to exuberant worship. And then next week as we get to the back half of the paragraph, that will then tell us, okay, what is someone who really gets this? How do they live based on what this says right here? We'll get to the doing next week. But, but all, know this about Scripture. Scripture always leads us to know something, then to worship, then to do something. You with me? You with me? Because if Scripture just told us what to do, we would, we would, well, we wouldn't even have the power to go do it. And then we'd start doing it in a way that would either lead us to despair or to legalistic pride. Scripture always leads us. Here's what you need to know about your Savior. Now, worship over that. Now do in this paragraph is a beautiful example of that. And I'm out of breath already. So, I want us to wrestle and to rest and what just two verses of the Word of God are going to tell us today. We're going to build the entire sermon to this statement right here. If someone asks you, hey, cheat, 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 cliff notes. If someone asks you at lunch today, what was church about today? Here it is in a sentence. You ready? You might want to write this down. and It'll be back. Jesus is our righteous advocate. Who took the full wrath of the Father for our sin. Again, I told you. I told you, didn't I? You're like, there's nothing in that statement that maybe is new to you. But I pray with the Spirit's help, we'll go, oh, I, I get it. I don't just get it, I get it. And that the Lord would do something in our heart based on that today. And so uh, let me just read this whole paragraph that starts 1 John chapter 2. I want to pray and ask for the Spirit's help, and then we're going to uh, chop it up in its pieces together today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Pray with me. Father, Oh, we need the help of your spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, so that what we study today will go deeper than Christian surface cliche, and will go deeper than just doctrinal head knowledge. 
would you take your word, would you drive it through our head and into our heart in such a way that we walk out knowing some things that will lead us to worship you. God, that's the prayer today. And I ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Back to the top. Let's take this piece by piece. And we're going to take these two verses, 1 John 2, 1 and 2, piece by piece. We're just going to pull out what we can from each piece. And if, and if the Lord doesn't have us worshiping by the end of it, don't worry. I want to address three types of people at the very end of the sermon that I think can be most freed from the reality that this text is communicating to us. But let's start piece by piece. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. What are the first three words? My little children. Now, if, I, if you um, walked into church today and I got up here and I said... Oh, little children. <laughs> Some of you would go, dude, my kids are older than you. Others of you go, like, dude, we're in third grade at the same time. If this is your first time with us, you'd never come back, and I wouldn't blame you. It'd be a little weird for me to get up and say, hey, my, my little children. Uh, John is going to say this over and over and over and over again through this letter. He's going to call the people he's writing to little children again and again and again. But remember something. Remember uh, what stage of life John is in as he writes this. He is an aging apostle. He is an elderly man, probably somewhere early 90s as he is penning this letter. And he, uh, he's, uh, now just kind of picture him if you can. Picture uh, uh, the aging apostle, the guy who walked with Jesus, like one of Jesus' inner three, in his early 90s, the the the, the the, the total consummate pastor, pastor of these people. Now, when he writes in a letter, my little children, that ain't weird at all, right? I mean, they get that. This guy's pastoring us. He's shepherding us. This is the guy who uh, decades ago was walking step in step with Jesus. And he says, my little children. And he tells us again why he's writing I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, remember the purpose and remember, and, and every week, and you might get sick of me reminding us why John's writing, but I think it's always so important to just not lose sight of the context swirling around the book of, of, book of the Bible. John is writing because you have this false teaching going on. False teaching is always trying to attack the church. People have pulled away from the Jesus community. You now have these believers who are left here going, what just happened? The, the, the ground of the church has just kind of gotten shaky here. In John's writing, this is a book about assurance. He's like, I want you to be assured corporately that you're on the right side of this church split. I want you to be sure individually that you know that you know Jesus Christ. Part of what he has said in chapter 1 is you, you know that you know Jesus Christ when you're walking in the light. And then the entire book of 1 John kind of unpacks these themes of what do light walkers look like. Uh, those who walk in the light, those who are true believers, they believe in the true Jesus. They don't believe in some, some spin on who Jesus is. They believe in the true Jesus. True believers, they love one another. Like this is how the world will know that you're one of mine, Jesus says, by how you love 
one another. And true believers, they don't live in this pattern of sin and disobedience. And so John is telling them, I'm writing these things to you so that you can rest assured of your in Christness. And one of the ways that you know you're in Christ is when you don't continue in a pattern, a life-dominating pattern of living in sin. He says, I'm writing these to you so that you may not sin. Now, John doesn't believe in some sinless perfection that we can live because he just told us last week that we should what? Confess our what? We should confess our sins. John knows that um, we carry even into this new life with Christ this sin hangover and the effects of it. But he said, I'm writing this to encourage you towards sanctification, towards becoming more like Jesus that you would not sin. But then he says this, but... If anyone does sin, I just want to stop there. And when I read that little phrase right there, I'm like, oh, John, please come on, preach, brother. If anyone does sin, what? Tell me. I got to have some hope and I got to know. Because I'm one of those who does sin. Anyone with me on that? So we have an aging apostle, the guy who walked with Jesus, and he's about to say, like, hey, I'm writing this to you for your sanctification. I'm writing this letter to you so you'll grow into greater Christ-likeness. But, oh, by the way, if anyone does sin, here's some things I want to tell you if you do find yourself still sinning. John, what do you want to say? Because i got to hear it, because before the day is done, I will sin again. What's he say? But if anyone does sin, now. He's not going to go, don't, don't, don't peek, don't, 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 sorry, I led you astray, don't peek then. I didn't lead you astray, that's her, her heresy, you should always look back at your Bible. Last week we talked about, like, what do we do with our sin, and um, we preached one of those super comfortable sermons about confessing sin, right? This week, no doubt, the Lord has been just working in our hearts to wrestle with some of that. But it's so interesting as John comes here now and goes, but if anyone does sin, he's not going to tell us anything to go do. Here's what I want you to go do. He's going to tell us, here's some things you got to know. Like as heavy, my hope is, as heavy as the last two weeks have been, as we've wrestled two weeks ago with like, man, we can say that we're in the light, but we can be walking in the darkness and we're not in the light at all. And then last week we're like, confess your sin, confess your sin. As heavy as the last two weeks have been, man, I pray today is light. I pray today as we go, what, what, John, what's the truth for us who do sin? I pray today we would get who our Savior is and what he has done and what he is doing on our behalf. Anyone, you ready now? Okay, all right, because I can, I can fold it up, and we can go, and we can pray, and we can be done, right? No, thank you. But if anyone does sin, wor- worship now, church, worship, worship. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I was like, here's what you got to know. Let me pastor you. Let me pastor you. Here's what you got to know. Here's where you got to rest. But if anyone does sin, John's not saying if, as in maybe you'll sin before you die. He's saying you are going to, and if you do, here's what you need to know. You have an advocate before the Father. 
And oh, by the way, he's a good one. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, I always think it's helpful to define terms. And I think it's helpful to define terms because we, we use from time to time the word advocate. But we don't often like camp out and really go like, what does it mean to have an advocate? An advocate is an intercessor. It's a mediator. It's a helper. And an advocate... Um, pleads the cause on our behalf. Get that picture. An advocate pleads, pleads, pleads our cause on our behalf. And so I think in our day and age, the first kind of picture that can come to mind as we talk about an advocate and someone pleading our cause on our behalf is a courtroom scene. And, and that's a good picture. You, we, we can picture now a courtroom and, and someone advocating, and, and though we're guilty, pleading the cause on our behalf. But there's a, I think there's a better picture. And the, the better picture that flows right out of our Old Testament is this picture of a priest. The, the priest uh, for the people of God would intercede on behalf of the people. He would go before the Lord on behalf of the people and he would advocate, he would intercede. And now um, we have no need for a priest today because a great high priest has come and his name is Jesus Christ. And so the Old Testament will talk about kings and will talk about prophets and will talk about priests. And then Jesus comes and he comes as the king of kings and he comes as our great high priest and he comes as uh, capital T, the capital P, prophet. And, and, and we worship over that. And so this picture of Jesus, the great high priest, interceding on behalf of his people, advocating on behalf of his people, helping, mediating on behalf of his people. If anyone does sin, here's what you have to know. You have an advocate before the Father, and your advocate never sinned as he walked this earth. His name is Jesus Christ the righteous. And his righteousness is advocating on behalf of us who cannot stand before the Lord and claim to be righteous. Are you worshiping yet? Need to get DJ out here on the on the guitar, the guitar, and get us rolling here. And we gotta know that. We gotta know that. We gotta know that. Because when we know that, we can rest. You uh, newsflash, you're gonna sin again. Is that news to you? We have to know where to look. And we don't excuse the sin. John's already covered that. You don't, you don't just persist in the sin. Sweet, got an advocate. Here I go. Boom. I'm totally, no, no, no. When you realize that you have Jesus, an advocate, Jesus the righteous, an advocate on your behalf, it doesn't make you want to just go abuse grace. It makes you want to, want to worship in that grace and live a life pleasing to the Lord. And so you have an advocate. Now, Wait, there's more, and it gets better. What's he doing as an advocate? My little children, 
I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And here it is. Here's that phrase that had me jumping up and down and yelling on a beach all by myself with the people in the house behind me looking on, just shaking their head like, what got into that guy? Here it is. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, what does propitiation mean? It means the full wrath of God the Father was poured out on his Son on our behalf. Let that marinate for a minute. The full wrath of the Father was poured out on Jesus for our sin. The big, long, theological phrasing of this is called penal substitutionary atonement. All of us deserve to pay a penalty for our sin. God did something audaciously radical in sending himself as our substitute to atone, to make us right before God when we cry out on Jesus Christ in faith. This picture that the Holy Spirit helped me see finally. I was a Christian. I was a believer. May of 2016 when the Lord changed my life with this passage. I was a believer. You're like, I hope so. You're our pastor then. Doctrinally, I understood it. Theologically, I believed it. But practically, I don't know if I really like, got it. Because what propitiation is, is if this is the wrath of God and this is Jesus, not really, it's a jar and a cup, but you get what I'm saying. The full, the full wrath of God was poured out on him. Full. All of it. Jesus took it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And what finally hit me that early morning on the shore of Lake Michigan was if Jesus took it all, it meant there wasn't one ounce of it left to be poured out on me. Not, not one drop was left to be poured out on me. And I'm telling you, I grew up in the church. I heard the gospel. I can't even tell you how many times I went to seminary and I studied this in Greek. And for the first time I went, wait, hold on. There ain't one ounce left to be poured out on me. 
He took it all. And some of you might be going like, yeah, dude, you should get that. No, no, think about that because I, I know that we get it doctrinally, but, but I still lived as if like Jesus took most of it, but man, I think God's waiting to get me for some of these things. That I couldn't wrap my head around until this morning that Jesus would take it all. All of the wrath of God was poured out on him. And he, he left not one ounce of it for me. Because how easily do we, and this should be fun, how easily do we believe like, I think Jesus took most of it, but there's probably some stuff I still got to pay for. And, and I, I got I to gotta do some good things because there's still some stuff I got to pay for there instead of just going, no, boom. The gospel, the good news message says that Jesus absorbed the full wrath of God for my sin. He completely was my perfect substitute. And there's nothing that I can do to atone for myself. That is freeing, y'all. But wait, there's more. Propitiation. Propitiation doesn't only mean that the full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. It does mean that. Propitiation means the full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for my sin. Not one ounce of his wrath is left to be poured out on me. And because of this, God is now favorably disposed toward me. This is the definition. We don't use the word propitious every day. I don't, I don't at least. My vocabulary is not that broad. Propitious is defined as this. Here's what propitious means. Let's throw that on the screen uh, if we can. Propitious is to be favorably disposed toward. So because the full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for my sin, now, now God the Father is not just up there like going like, oh, fine. Like, I guess because I poured it out on Jesus, like, I'll let you go free. He's not, he's not some vicious pit bull up there that Jesus is holding back. No, 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 remember, you poured it all out on me. No, when, when, when it says that he is the propitiation for our sins, full wrath poured out on Jesus, and now God the Father favorably disposed towards us. You worshiping? You gotta know that. You gotta know that. Got to know that. That right there freed me that morning from living a performance based Christian life. It freed me and is freeing me. At my worst before this, I was performance driven. Got to do this, got to be good, got to be the best, got to, got to, got to. Me still at, the, at my worst is still performance driven. There was something that morning that went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Through Jesus absorbing the wrath, imputing his righteousness, God favorably disposed towards me like I am freed from performance-ism. And when I get in my car in the morning, and there are just days I wake up with a low-grade anxiety bubbling in my belly. That was a vivid picture, but you get it, right? Anyone with me? 
And I can't always pinpoint it other than like today's got to be good and I got to do good today and I'm going to let people down if I don't do good today and all of these things. When I back my car out of the driveway, when I sense that anxiety of performance-ism, I whisper a prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, the gospel tells me there is nothing I can do today that would make you love me less. And the gospel frees me that there's nothing I can do today that would make you love me more. That is freeing, folks. We live in a merit-based culture. You do good, you get praise. You do bad, you get slapped. Hopefully not literally. And the gospel is so contrary to it. In such a way that when we read this little phrase that he is the propitiation for our sins, the full wrath poured out on Jesus, his full favor imputed to to us. Come on now. And it's not done. He is the propitiation for our sins. But now we can worship together over it because it's not just a you thing and it's not just an us thing in this room. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John's not teaching there a universal salvation. We know that based on all the teaching of the New Testament. We know that based on all the writing of John. But this is the same guy who penned John 3.16, who records what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus offers himself as the propitiation for the sin of the whole world. Every tribe will come to know the Lord through relationship with Jesus Christ. Every tongue, every person in every country on every continent What Jesus Christ has done on the cross is a global reality. It's offered up to all people. It doesn't mean John's not teaching all people will be saved, but all who call in faith on Jesus Christ, regardless of where they're at and what culture they live in, there is one way to the Father through Christ. And that's what he has offered to us. And so John stopped summarizes propitiation one of my favorite ways. He says, it, propitiation, is an appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God. It's an appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God. So, Pastor, what do you want me to do with this? What, what, what should I do with this this week? What, um, worship, rest, And come back next Sunday. But all you got to do this week is meditate on this. Do you know this? I know know that you know it, especially you church kids. You know this. Like you, you, you know, there was nothing when I first described propitiation, there was probably not this light bulb like, oh, wow. You have to let that soak. You have to crock pot that thing. 
You got to let it, you got to marinate on that. You got to meditate on that. You really have to get it deep down in your heart. And when you do, I'm telling you from someone three years ago where it happened, so much freedom comes from it. I kid you not, ask my wife, she can vouch for it. I drove back from West Michigan, drove all the way down, I don't know, three hour drive. I parked the car in the garage. I walked through the garage door later that evening after this morning experience. She was standing at the sink. She turned around and she said, whoa, what happened to you? It was that freeing. I pray that for you this week. And now, three types of people I want to speak to who I believe can be most freed from this very quickly. The first is, is you out there. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior... You are under the wrath of God. Like everything we just talked about today of Jesus is our advocate, Jesus is the propitiation for our sin, applies to those who in faith have trusted Christ as their Savior. Because God is just and he's holy, he cannot just, he cannot just turn a blind eye to sin. Instead, he sent his son to bear the penalty for our sin in such a way that um, God then tells us, how do we, Lord, what do we do? Like, what do we do with that, the fact that Jesus died on the cross? He says, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You're out here, and you've never called out on Jesus in faith to be the Savior of your life. You are still under the wrath of God, but today, a miracle can happen. Today, when you cry out on Jesus to be saved, all of that wrath of God for your sin is poured out on Christ, has been poured out on Christ on the cross, and applies to your life in such a way that not one ounce is left for you today. So today, will you cry out on Jesus to save you from your sin? If you're like, I don't, I don't know if I have, I don't know, I don't know, or if you're like, I for sure haven't, I know I'm not a Christian, I know I've never called out on Jesus to be saved, uh, before you leave today, right up here, there'll be some leaders, they'll be wearing lanyards with name tags, they'll be facing this way, come talk. And they can tell you more of what it means for you to call out on Jesus in faith to be saved today. Cool? We good on that? Second person, I believe, and be freed by this reality today is the person who has gotten, gotten all this in their head and they, they believe it doctrinally, but they've always practically lived like Jesus took most of the wrath, but God's still got a little bit left for them. You, 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 you're a heavy, guilty conscience person. You struggle to really believe that Jesus would really take all of it. And you're like, yeah, I get it. He's taken enough to, like, save me and get me to heaven. But, man, I think when I stand before God, like, he's got something waiting for me just a little bit that I'm going to have to pay some penalty today, be freed. All of it. All of it. And the third type of person I want to talk to is I've already shared this is where I was. Those of you who believe you have to, you have to 
be good, to earn God's favor. And, and, I'm, and I'm even talking to you Christians who, who know, like I know, like it says not by works so that no one can boast. And I, I really believe that I, I am saved only because of Jesus. But practically, you still live like I, I got I to gotta do something favorable to, 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 to get God's favor. I just say to you, he is the propitiation for your sin. Be free. You're like, well, man, like, are you saying then we just go live however we want? And no, I'm not saying. I'm saying when you get that, you won't want to just go live however you want. The end of this paragraph, you'll go, I want that. I want to live that way. So church, if you would just stand to your feet as I close this out here. And as we sing to close our time, this statement, what's church about today? Here's what church is about today. That Jesus is our righteous advocate who took the full wrath of the Father for our sin. There's not one ounce of wrath left for you. It's Christ that has made us favorably disposed before the Father. It's him who has paid it all. And that's why as the song we're about to sing tells us, it's him to, we, we owe everything. All to him we owe. Like when this reality sinks deeply down into our heart, our lives now get aligned with that reality. Worship happens in our heart, and when worship is happening in our heart, lives pleasing to the Lord begin to live out. So, Father, I pray for the reality to sink deeply down into our heart today. I pray that we would truly, truly get what it means that you're our propitiation. I pray that it would free us. Lord, we're so used to... uh, walking out of church and going, what do I need to do? 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 Lord, help us to rest in what we need to know today. Thank you, Jesus, our righteous advocate. Thank you, Jesus, the propitiation for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, the Savior of the whole world. Now, Lord, we love you. And we sing to you in response to what you've just said to us through your word.